But my friends, I want you to think about something that the Lord said at least 12 times in the New Testament between the Gospels and the book of Revelation. He said these words to the church. He said, he who has an ear, let him hear. And so I'm going to tell you this morning, some of the things I'm going to be talking to you about from the Scriptures is not easy sometimes for us to hear, but I assure you, it's the truth. So I pray you have an ear to hear and a heart to listen. Because the fact is today, my friends, in America, the church needs revival. We talk about revival in our nation, but let me tell you, revival starts first with you and me. It doesn't start with the nation. It starts with the Lord's people. And I pray all the time that the Lord would bring revival to His church. I pray that He would bring revival to my life. Because sometimes I think, we think we're all okay. Yes, we have our assurance of salvation. But my question I have for you today is, how are you living and working out your sanctification with Christ? You know, many in our world and in our culture today are coming out. They're coming out of the closet to celebrate their lifestyles of sin. And the world applauds it. My friend, this breaks my heart. Because watching news reports almost daily, I see somebody else coming out, and I see the world applauding over and over again, telling you how great this all is. But I cannot help, as I watch the news, to see Scripture fulfilled right before my eyes. Now, that is one thing exciting about our time today. We are seeing Scripture fulfilled, prophecy fulfilled from the Bible. I see Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. They apply to this, this thing of applauding, this thing of uh, celebrating sin. Because in verse 32, it says, they not only do these things, but they even applaud others who practice them. And that's exactly where we're at. You know, my friends, I don't know when the Lord's going to return. But I know this. We're a lot closer today than we were just yesterday. The Bible says, ever since Christ ascended to heaven, that we are in the last days. And John talked about the last hour. And I wonder, where are we, Lord? Let me tell you something. God requires souls of people every day. If you're without Christ here this morning, I want to let you know right now, you don't know that you have tomorrow to make a decision for Christ. So I'm going to be inviting you Christians and unbelievers, seekers, to come back to the foot of the cross and draw closer to God. Because that's what the church needs. Revival doesn't start with someone else. It starts with us. Now while this sickness of sin freely and openly and willingly goes on in our culture today, according to statistics, there must not only be a sickness in our culture, there must be a sickness in the Lord's church. Because according to these statistics, the vast majority of those in the Lord's church seem to remain hidden, silent, and evidently comfortable. While we do so, the church is shrinking, not only in the world, but in America today, it is shrinking in size. And we are losing generations upon generations of our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren to the world. And you say, well, John, it can't be that bad. Well, you know, statistics taken from Barner Research and the Pew Research Council and others tell us these statistics. And some of these were taken a decade ago, so you know it's not better. From Barner Research, he said that less than 45% of Americans ever attend church today on any given Sunday. And out of that 45%, 
they have found that only about 6 to 8% of Christians who name the name of Christ as Savior are spiritually committed to the work of Christ in this world. 6 to 8%. Now, if we apply that to this church, that means the vast majority of you here today are not fully committed to Christ. Another statistic taken among evangelicals, that is those who claim to be born again, 90 plus percent have admitted that they have never shared their faith in Jesus Christ with a lost person outside their immediate family. Church growth. Remember I said the church is shrinking? Only 20% of churches in America today are growing churches. That means 80% have either plateaued, they're in decline, or they're dying churches. 80%. And this statistic really got a hold of me because I'm seeing this one fulfilled even in our midst. 88% of youth today who grow up in the church and profess Christ, when they turn 18 years old, they leave the church never to return again. Has this gotten a hold of you yet? See, there's not only a problem in our government, we not only have a broken government and a broken Washington, but evidently there's a broken church. And we need to come back to Christ. We need to repent. And we need to remember and we need to return to Christ. After all, the good news, it's in our hands. So if you would, open your Bibles now to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And I'll be reading from verses Starting with verse 4, the screen says the message is from 8 to 17. That is the verses I will be focusing on today. But I want to begin reading with verse 4. Romans chapter 10, verse 4. And as you're looking that up, you can also find that on page 1005 if you're using a Bible there in front of you in the pews. Because I want everybody to have a copy of God's Word in their hand. Whether it be a tablet, a phone, the written Word, whatever it may be. Look at the word with me this morning. Because what I say doesn't really matter. It's what God says that matters. Now, to try to get some kind of context here, we see that Paul focuses on, in Romans chapters 9 through 11, he is focusing on salvation. He is heartbroken and he is grieved as God's apostle, that the Israelites, his brothers and sisters, have rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah, and that only Jesus Christ offers salvation for both the Israelites, that is the Jews, and yes, the Gentile. Israel's zeal is without knowledge, and it's led to their futile pursuit, their ongoing pursuit of righteousness based on their own merit. And we have plenty of people doing that today, even in the church thinking that they can be saved by their good outweighing their bad. But my friend, I'm here today to tell you, it's not what you do that matters. It's what he's done on the cross that matters. Now, by the way, it's nothing wrong with saying amen. Do you all know what amen means? So be it. So be it. And the more amens I seem to get, the faster I go with a message. Not. (laughs) And so the specific knowledge that these people lacked was that righteousness, they thought, came by their works. Instead, we know that righteousness comes from God and not from ourselves. And at the end of the law, Christ made it possible for everyone who believes to attain a righteous standing before a holy God. Paul quotes from a number of Old Testament passages here to show the contrast between the righteousness based on faith and the righteousness that comes from the law. 
The righteousness that is based on faith reinterprets the Old Testament passages and sees them that Christ has fulfilled them. Both Jew and Gentile are made righteous by, in effect, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is the point that Paul is trying to make here. And so that we might honor the word of God this morning, would you please stand with me as I read these verses to you? Romans chapter 4 through verse 17. Romans chapter 10, verses 4 through 17. And so the word of the Lord goes on to say, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law. The one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now briefly here, Paul is just, that's kind of confusing. Paul is trying to say is, guess what? Christ doesn't need to go down to the grave anymore. He's already been buried. He's been uh, crucified on the cross, been buried, and he's come up from the grave. He's been resurrected from the dead, and he's ascended to the Father in heaven. He doesn't need to come back down. And so he goes on to say in verse 8, on the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Would you please now be seated and ask that you bow your heads with me. As I ask the Lord's blessing on the message today. Bow with me please. My great God and Father. God of all mercy and God of all grace. Oh Lord I thank you for this opportunity. And Lord I'm thankful for this church body. Father I pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to listen. That we would come this morning, Lord, receptive and humble. And Lord, I pray that you would bring revival to us. And to your church all across America and around the world. Because Lord, I know only you can do it. Now, Father, I pray that you would move me out of the way. So that I would not be a distraction to your message. I pray that I would be moved out of the way. And that your truth would be heard. It would be understood. And it would be put into perfect practice today. And oh Lord, I pray, I pray as you told the church in Revelation, one of the seven churches, you said, wake up. Lord, I pray we would wake up. And I pray we proclaim Christ, that he has been crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended. Help us, oh Lord, to realize that we have the good news within our hands. To change the world. I pray it in the saving name of Jesus Christ my Savior. Amen. You know Leonardtown Baptist Church has several documents that we use. In order to help us in our faith. Our number one source for everything. Is the word of God. It is sufficient for all faith and all practice. 
But we also have other documents that we have created over the years to help us as a church fulfill Scripture. We have a church constitution. Now, a church constitution is supposed to tell us what we are to be about. We also have church bylaws. They tell us how to get the constitution done. And then we have a church covenant where we make a promise to God and a promise to each other as one body in Christ that we will touch the world. But there's also other, another important document that we utilize and that we stand by, and that is the Baptist faith and message of 2000. Now, these words are in the Baptist message and faith of 2000, and it says this. It says, it is the duty and privilege of every follower of Christ and of every church of the Lord Jesus Christ to endeavor to make disciples of all nations. The new birth of man's spirit by God's Holy Spirit means the birth of love for others. It is the duty of every child of God to seek constantly to win the loss to Christ by verbal witness undergirded by a Christian lifestyle. Now, this morning, if you have a bulletin, a note sheet there, or you have your Bible with you, and I pray you do, somewhere in the back of your Bible, that might be the best place, or on that note sheet, I want you to think of several people that you know right now that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Write their names down right now. Don't look at me, because everybody in here should know somebody who is lost. Whether it be one name, three names, seven names, write them down right now. People you would love to see come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Maybe it's a son, a daughter. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a grandchild. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Whatever the case may be, write down that name or those names right now. Does everybody have it? If you've written down a name, raise your hand. I see a lot of names that still aren't written down. Because the fact is, is we are responsible. We are responsible to share the gospel. If the church is going to come out like everybody else is, and we're to do what the Lord has commanded, we need to know what is preventing us from being effective and outreach. And as I thought about it, as I've heard different comments people have made in the church, I think the problem we're seeing is, number one, the mistaken perception of the saved. Look at verse 14. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? You see, mistaken perceptions of outreach paints a deadly picture of hell for the eternal souls of many. And some of those eternal souls are within our grasp. Billy Fay is a man who puts some outreach curriculum together called Share Jesus Without Fear. And about 15 to 20 years ago, we had him at this church. I don't know how many of you remember that. But Billy Fay states the church in America suffers from a terrible sin. It's called the sin of silence. Perhaps that is because too many of us as preachers have the wrong perception of outreach. And oh, by the way, so you don't misunderstand anything? I'm not talking about the pastors and elders here. Did you know that you and I sitting in the pew are the preachers? Because in the book of Acts, when the church was scattered from Jerusalem and the apostles stayed there, when they went out, it says that as the church was scattered, they went out preaching. That means every one of us in here can preach the gospel. Did you know that? Not in the sense we think of like on a Sunday morning. But you will learn how before this message is over. How God wants to use every one of you here in this place to proclaim Christ to their neighbor and their friends. You know, when I hear people in the church talking about fear and intimidation and witnessing, 
I tell you the truth, I am disturbed and I am brokenhearted. And I know the Lord is as well. Because it tells me that their false perception of outreach might not be everything, but it sure must be convincing to them. And the bad thing is, is they share that perception with other people in the church. And it's catching. Perhaps that's why 90 plus percent have never shared their faith in Christ. Do you remember what Roosevelt said beginning of World War II? He said, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. So what are we fearing? What are we intimidated by? Has anybody that you know of here in the last week died from sharing their faith in Christ? Have you heard about anybody being killed? Persecuted? Have you? There's nothing to fear but fear itself. We have not been given a spirit of fear. It's a perception. You see, the problem is, is when you believe something to be true, you tend to paint a picture in your mind's eye, and then you quickly frame that with the certainty of your heart. For example, I want you to look at this picture on the screen, and in just a few seconds, I want you to formulate in your mind what you think you see. Look at this picture, just a few seconds. You see, it all depends on your perception. How many of you see an old woman? Raise your hands. How many of you see a young woman? Raise your hands. You see, it's all part of perception. With effort, you can switch from one to the other. But I've had people look at this and say, there's nothing there but an old woman. Or people say, there's nothing there but a young woman. But there's so much more than meets the eye. And my friends, with outreach, we have the wrong perception. But with eyes of faith, we can switch our mistaken perception of outreach to the Lord's view of outreach. We need to look at the, at the world through the Lord's eyes. And I believe, I really do believe this. I believe at Leonardtown Baptist Church, we have the opportunity to turn our community upside down. If 12 apostles could turn their world upside down, then how come 300 people can't turn their community upside down? See, I believe that with the right perception of outreach, we can. Why? Because I know that nothing is impossible with God. You know, in the Gospel of Matthew, when the Lord talked about the camel and the eye of the needle. The disciples were blown away. They said, well, then they asked the Lord, well, who in the world then can be saved? And he said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. So I know it's possible. And I want to submit to you today that Jesus Christ did not come to this planet and die on a cross to pay for the sins of the world or even our sin just so that we could gather in a nice nice holy huddle once a week in this place. You know, I I bet you all are saying, man, this guy, he's something. My friends, the right perception of outreach leads us to reach out because of our love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Every Sunday, we carry on a tradition that has been going on for 15 to 20 years. Pastor Clyde Phillips introduced us saying Maranatha at the end of a church service about 15 to 20 years ago. And you're still saying it. I was glad to hear that. What does Maranatha mean? Come, Lord Jesus. Okay? Come, Lord Jesus. In other words, we're looking for the return of Christ. We're looking forward to that day. 
But I have to ask you this question. You better be careful of what you're saying. Because if the Lord Jesus came this past week, would he have found you sharing the gospel with anyone? Maybe we need to start some new traditions so that certain things we say are just not rote. Maybe we ought to start things like to live as Christ and to die as gain. Maranatha is wonderful. Come, Lord Jesus. But you better be ready. You better be ready, church. You know, if we truly love God, then we will think as God thinks. We will love what God loves. And we will do what the Lord did. If God loved this world enough to give us a son, as stated in John three sixteen, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Then we ought to love God and love those in the world enough to give ourselves to the mission of Christ. Found in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Can anybody tell me what the mission of Christ is? You know, we have seek, study, serve, share, don't we? But what was Christ's mission? Why did he come? Luke 19, 10. Anybody know it? He said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. Straightforward, to the point. That's the Lord's mission. It's called the Missio Dei. That is what we need to be involved in every day. So how in the world do we do this mission of Christ? Well, now I want to bring some good news to you. I want to give you some great news and take a tremendous amount of pressure off of each of you today. You do not have to be the perfect Christian. You have to be blameless, but you don't have to be the perfect Christian. You don't have to be seminary trained. You don't have to be great at public speaking to fulfill your role as God's witness in a lost world. But you must get rid of the wrong perceptions of outreach. And there is one all-important thing that you must have, and it's not a thing. It is the marvelous power of the Spirit of God. Look at verses 9 through 11 of chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Now, to have the Spirit of God here, as this talks about, you must have acknowledged the Son of God as your Savior. It is only then that you will have the power you need to reach out to others with the gospel. The last words that Jesus Christ ever said before he ascended to heaven are found in the book of Acts, which makes it clear that you and I have been sent. You know this verse, Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Note there the bold letters. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. You notice the Lord didn't say, well, you may receive power or you may be my witnesses. You will. But too often Christians are saying, we won't. We won't. You know, I have a little object lesson I want to show you here this morning. And the men are going to love this because men love this kind of thing. How many of you men know what this is? Call it out. What is it? What did you say? Okay, it's a drill or a drill motor, right? Contains a little motor in there. And so it's called either a drill or a drill motor. Now, how many of you know what this is? Good. You're doing good, man. Got a lot of smart people around here. Okay. Now, how many of you know what this is? Okay. What does this do for this? Gives it power, doesn't it? But so often the church in America today is they're trying to reach out in their own strength. Can you imagine me 
taking this and trying to drill a hole like this all day. This is why outreach is so difficult because we're not doing it the way God has told us to do it. We're, we're too busy doing this. And then we're asking, Lord, hey, Lord, come here and bless this. This looks ridiculous, doesn't it? But when a person has the Holy Spirit, they've been given the power. I'm ready to go to town. But notice, when I'm given the power, what else do you see? I am the light in a dark world. My friends, we need to do outreach with Holy Spirit power. We have to do it. Because God has enabled us to do it. That is why he gave us his spirit. So if we get rid of our mistaken perceptions of outreach and rely on the marvelous power of the Holy Spirit, it is then we will know the multiplied potential of the saints. Look at verse 8, the second half, verse 15. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. Verse 15 As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Oh, my friends, I think back just to this morning, uh, Matt asking our adult Bible fellowship how we all came to Christ. Who who had witnessed to us that led us to faith in Christ. And I talked about my parents. I talked about two of my Sunday school teachers that I had. And I think about how God has blessed me early on to hear the gospel. My friends, God is going to be blessed and you will bless somebody else when you share the gospel with a lost person you know. We are teammates in this work with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5 verse 32 says, we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. So who has the Holy Spirit been given to? I couldn't hear you. It's right on the screen. Boy, y'all are weak. (laughs) Let me ask that again. It's right there in words. Who has the Holy Spirit been given to? Thank you. You know, I don't believe in closet Christianity. And I don't believe you can have the Spirit of God in you without passion. Passion, realizing how you've been saved from sin, Satan, hell, and death. How can we sit so relaxed and and never say amen hardly or say praise the Lord or hallelujah or thank God for my salvation. How can we do such a thing when Christ gave everything for us? I don't understand that kind of Christianity. You know, in our LBC covenant that I referred to earlier, in our membership commitment, and y'all signed this, or y'all got a copy of this when you first joined the church. It said, we will share Christ with the world by spreading the gospel locally, regionally, and globally through our personal and church-wide involvement And we will pray for the lost. That is why I had you write those names down. We will pray for the lost. The Lord makes it abundantly clear in Scripture that He wants every believer here to share Christ. And I want to get this into your heart this morning. Outreach is a team effort. Now remember, here's the battery pack, the power. Here's the drill bit. Here's the drill. You as an individual Christian are the drill bit. The church is the drill motor. And the Holy Spirit gives the power for all of it to work. You work as an individual. We work together as a team with the Holy Spirit to proclaim Christ. But as a drill bit, 
you have to remain sharp. You have to be ready. If you're dull, things become difficult. My friends, we've been blessed by God to be called out in this world. We have been blessed. We are teammates in sharing the gospel with our lost families, our lost friends, our lost co-workers, our lost neighbors. So how in the world do we tap into the power of the Holy Spirit and fulfill God's will and our potential as the saints? How do we stay sharp? Well, there's four things I want to share with you here this morning. First is, together we must nurture our internal passion. Say, what in the world is he talking about? We must have a concern and a love for the lost. We must nurture our internal passion. Because in Romans chapters 9 through 10, we see the fuller picture of the greatest missionary who had ever lived. Because it's here that we see what truly lies within Paul's passionate heart for those who were lost. Go back to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 and look at verses 1 through 3. Paul said, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. Do you understand what Paul is talking about here? He's saying, for my own flesh and blood, for the Israelites, I would be willing to go to hell so that they could be saved. Do you understand? I I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. I want to be there. Because that's the heart of Christ himself. The reason why outreach, outreach must be in your heart and in my heart is because it was first in the heart of Jesus Christ. Remember Luke nineteen ten. What did it say? I didn't hear you. I came to seek and save that which was lost. Outreach is so important to our Heavenly Father, and it is so much a part of the passion of His own heart that He does not want you and I to do it alone. It is a team effort. Secondly, together we must develop our external priorities. You know, as Christians today, we're so busy living in the world that we have all these earthly priorities, these worldly priorities, but we don't have the priority of fulfilling the mission of Christ. We must develop our external priorities. So what determines your passion is often your priorities. You see, if you, a person's priority is making money, then money becomes their passion. If a person's priority is sports, sports becomes their passion. How many of you have ever been to a football game? Are any of y'all fans of football? Okay. Now, you know, I've noticed, I don't know about you, but I haven't been to too many football games, but the ones I've been to, people get up and they hoop and holler when a touchdown is scored. But those same Christians can't even say amen in the church or hallelujah. My friends, we're on the winning team. We have Christ, amen? So let's develop our external priorities because as a fisher of men, when you make people that you don't know, that doesn't know Christ a priority, then catching people for Christ will then become your passion. Thirdly, together we must learn to faithfully pray. I referred to that earlier. Look at Romans 10, verse 1. Paul wrote, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. My friends, let me tell you something. When it comes to praying for the lost, prayer doesn't just make a difference. Prayer makes all the difference. You know, in Jerusalem, there's a wall called the Western Wall. We often refer to it as the Wailing Wall. 
It's a holy place for the Jewish world. And it's the only retaining wall of the last temple mount. The Jews come there to pray and to cry out to God. And you know, a lot of times they rock back and forth. You know, there's a reason they do that. They rock back and forth because the Spirit of God is always known as a flame of fire. Does that sound familiar to the New Testament? And so, as a flame, they're rocking back and forth. Hopefully that their prayers may be seen and heard by God. And they, they cry out and they wail out to God for prayer. My friends, my dear friends, Christians... How we need a wailing wall here at Leonardtown Baptist Church for the lost. Where we cry out for those names that we wrote down. We cry out for them daily, faithfully. And we don't stop. Because I can tell you that when I have cried out to God in prayer, sincerely, daily, and faithfully for the lost I knew personally, I'm going to tell you that people I never expected to came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. For some, I will tell you, it took weeks. For others, months. Some, years. And some, I am still praying for today. But I have a Bible back at my house with the names in the back of it. And I'm telling you, out of a list of about 50 people on that list, about 35 have already come to Christ. People I never even expected to. Because when I pray for the lost, and when you pray for the lost, we are praying directly the will of God. I have seen the Lord open hearts that were as hard as rock, and I have had seen them soften to the texture of clay as they receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that some of you here today have witnessed the same thing. Have you not? Have you not, church? You see, this evening, we have the privilege of gathering together for prayer. Now, I don't want to tell you what the statistics say about that. But I can tell you from my personal experience in every church I've been part of, it's a very, very small percentage of the church that gathers together corporately for prayer. But we see in the book of Acts, the church always came together to pray. And one of the things they prayed for was boldness to share the gospel. And so we need to come together and we need to lift up some of these names that we've written down and cry out to God for the souls of these people. My friends, we need to cry out to God. We need to have a wailing wall. We can do that this evening. Because in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord said, The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Finally, together we must regularly proclaim Christ. Romans 10, 17, So faith comes from what is heard, and What is heard comes through the message about Christ. You know, when some Christians think about the word witness, sometimes another mistaken perception follows. Because negatively, they begin to think that they have to be some type of high-pressure salesperson. But the Lord is not talking about using high-pressure tactics to get anybody to buy into anything. As a matter of fact, the wonderful thing about sharing the gospel and being a witness for the Lord is this. You're not trying to sell anything. You're trying to give it away. Think about that. A free gift from God. You see, a witness is simply a child of God who utilizes their time, their talents, their treasure, and one more thing, their testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a testimony to tell. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 10, it says these words. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. You have a testimony within each of your hearts if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You know, I want you to think of a witness in a courtroom. You see a picture here on the screen. When a witness is on the stand, they don't argue the case. They don't try and prove the truth. And they don't press for a verdict. All they simply do is testify to what they have seen, what they have heard, and what they know. And then they let the people of the jury decide. It's the same with witnessing for Christ. That is all being a witness is. Simply telling your story in your own way, with your own personality, and in your own giftedness of what Christ has done and is doing in your life. Now, I know some of you are thinking, you know what? I'm not, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I, I'm not an evangelist. Well, I, I will admit, there are some men that are gifted to be evangelists. But I want to let you know something. We're all gifted for outreach. Every one of us in this room have a gift for outreach. So how can you be involved? You can preach the gospel in the style that God has gifted you with. For example, we see Peter in Acts chapter 2 doing direct outreach. Some would say it's confrontational outreach. That's not a lot of people's style. But if Peter was convinced he was right, then there was no stopping him. He was direct, he was bold, and he was to the point. Maybe you are gifted in that way today. Secondly, we see Paul in Acts chapter 17 doing intellectual outreach. See, Paul presented the gospel to people and he thought it through, how to present the gospel to Greeks, to to Romans, to Jews and others. And at the altar to the unknown God, his testimony showed how one can present a rational case in such a way that people want to know more. Well, maybe you're not Peter and Paul, but maybe you're Levi, that is the apostle Matthew. We see in Luke chapter 5, him doing relational outreach. After leaving his tax table to follow Christ, he invited fellow tax collectors and sinners to his home. So you have people into your home. You share a meal. You spend time in conversation. Because many people will never, ever be reached until someone takes the time to build that kind of closeness and relationship with them. I call them Matthew parties. Now, did you know, if you're a Christian today, that not one thing you have belongs to you? This we would call a church facility, wouldn't we? Did you know your homes are church facilities because you are there? Wherever you are, the Holy Spirit is. And wherever you are, there's Christian. And then wherever there's Christian, there's Christians. And guess what? You have a church. So your home is not your own. As in America today, we think it's our castle. But it's not. It's an extension of the church. Invite people into your home. Invite other believers into your home to share a meal and get to know each other. When Danielle and I invite people over to our house, we, sh- we have dessert and coffee or a meal or whatever. And I want to hear people's testimonies. I want to know them better. But you know, we can invite lost people in too. And guess what? You have a few lost and a few Christians. And you intermingle and get to know each other. Love them. That's relational outreach. You say, well, maybe that's not my cup of tea. Well, then I want you to look at the blind man in John chapter 9. Him doing testimonial outreach. You see, he could only speak from his most current experience, he confidently declared these words. He said, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Talk about the radical change your life has taken since you've come to know Jesus Christ. You don't have to worry about what you don't know. Just tell them what you do know. They cannot take that away from you. Or maybe we need to look to Philip in Acts chapter 8 doing explanational outreach. That's a new word I created. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch? He was spiritually thirsty. He was drawn by the Lord to a particular time and a particular place. And the Lord sent Philip to go to that place at that time. 
And he heard the man reading scripture, the book of Isaiah, as he went by on his chariot. And guess what? Philip ran up to that and said, hey, man, you know what you're reading? Let me explain that to you. Let me explain what the word of God is saying to you there. And he told him all about Jesus Christ. And the man believed and was baptized. So maybe you're an explanational outreach person. Or maybe you're like the woman at the well in John chapter 4. You're good at doing invitational outreach. You see, after this lady met Jesus Christ, she ran back to her town and she started inviting people. She said, come and see. Come and see. So she brought her neighbors to the well to hear Jesus for themselves. You invite people to church or to church functions or to events or to your home. Come and see who Jesus is for yourself. And then we see Tabitha or Dorcas in Acts chapter 9 doing sacrificial servant outreach. This woman was known for her great gifts of hospitality and acts of service to those in need. And you better believe that that had an impact on people. I guarantee you that gave her a chance to tell them about Christ. It's a tangible way of expressing the love of Jesus Christ. Christian, the only sin you can commit today in outreach is the sin of silence. There are seven different styles at least of reaching out to other people. And every one of you have one of these gifts within you. You see the answer the, so, the world so longs to know? It lies with us. It's in our hands. Remember John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. That's the gospel in a nutshell. He doesn't want to condemn anybody. He wants us to go out and tell them the good news. Oh, my friends. I guarantee you, if there was some sale for something that was really cheap and it was really good, you'd go telling half the people in this church all about it. You say, man, you've got to go down to Aldi's or you've got to go over here or you've got to go over there. You've got to get this, man. It's a good deal. Well, my friends, we have the best deal. It's in our hands. You know, my friends, many of you may have heard this old story before, but it proves a point. There was an old man who lived in a village that was known to be very wise. People from all over that village would come to that man and ask him questions. And the more that came, the more questions he answered, the wiser he became. Well, one day there was a young man in that village, a young guy, and he thought, you know what? I'm tired of, about hearing about how wise this old man is. I'm going to do something to him, and everybody's going to see how smart I am. And so, he found this bird that was fluttering out of its nest, a new young bird, and was just learning to fly, but he caught it, and he grabbed it, and he put it in his hand and said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this bird to the old man, and I'm going to ask him, old man, is this bird dead or alive? And if he says, it's alive, I'll just give it a quick squeeze and drop it out of my hand dead but if he says it's dead I'll just simply let it flutter out of my hand and you'll see it's alive either way I'll be right and I'll look wise and so he invited some of his young friends to go with him and he went to the old man's house he knocked on the door he heard an answer at the door to come in he goes in and here's the old man working at a table looking out the back window didn't even turn to see him and the young man said hey old man Is this bird I have in my hand a dead or alive? You know, the old man, he didn't even turn around. He just said these words. He said, young man, it's whatever you want it to be. Christians, we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we have the Bible in our hands to produce life or death, growth or decline in this church. And the answer is whatever you want it to be. The treasure of Jesus Christ is ours as redeemed sinners to proclaim. The greatest news that man has ever heard lies with us. 
And saints, if we will do this faithfully, some will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will know what Paul meant when he quoted Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But my friends, first, we need to repent. We need to remember. And we need to return to the cross of Christ. And so then we come to the merciful person of our Savior. See, Jesus, he's ready to receive us when we're done with ourselves. Whether we're believers or unbelievers, we must humble ourselves before our holy God. Christians, I'm going to tell you something right now. God expects you to respond to his word. We have an invitation every single Sunday. God expects you to respond. That is worship. Responding to the word of God. And so in just a moment, I'm going to be inviting you to come. And you can kneel at this altar. You can pray with one of the elders or Pastor Allen, whatever. You can come and you can repent. And you can return to God. Are you willing to repent of your silence? And invest your life in the only thing that's going to matter for all eternity. And that is the souls of people. Will you come? Repentance and revival is what the Lord wants from his church. So I'm going to say, you come this morning and you come out from the world and live for Christ. Will you truly be able to sing and to say, wherever he leads, I'll go? Because if you can't, my friends, then don't sing the words. The Lord's not looking for lip service. He's looking for love service. You come this morning. Or perhaps you're a person here today that has not made your faith in Christ public yet. Or maybe you're a lost person. You haven't really received Jesus Christ personally in your life and heart that he's your Savior. But you know the Spirit of God has been speaking to you this morning or throughout this week or through a friend. You can come and make your faith public today. You see? So faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. And this is the message. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you that he gave us one and only son so that you would not perish, but that you would have eternal life. God did not send his son in this world to condemn you, but to save you through Christ. And he loved you so much that it tells us in Romans 5, 8, for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But there are so many people today that think their good is going to weigh their bad, that, oh, I, I can be good enough. You know, my, if I'm just good enough, the Lord will accept me. Let me tell you something, my friends. The Bible makes it very clear that's a lie from Satan. For it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, This is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one, no one, no one can boast. And it also tells us in the Old Testament, Isaiah 64, 6, it says that your righteousness, now get that, not your unrighteousness, but that your righteousness, that good things that you think you are, all that goodness that you've stored up, that is like a filthy rag to a holy God. It's a stench in his nostrils. But the good news is, Jesus came. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again and he will give you new life. And Jesus ascended to the Father in heaven and stands at his right hand right now, interceding on your behalf. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Because you see, my friends, whether you're a Christian today, and I'm inviting you to come, or you're an unbeliever, getting, wanting to be a believer, whatever the case may be, know this. The answer today is whatever you want it to be. Pray with me. Father, Lord God, I pray for your church. I pray, O Lord, that we would wake up. Lord, help us to remember the unbelievable gift of salvation that you've given freely to us. And Lord, I pray that we would be your faithful witnesses. 
I pray, Lord, today that some just need to come and pray. Lord, I pray that you would empower them with your spirit to do so. Lord, there's nothing for us to be ashamed of because you are a merciful Savior. We can always come to the foot of the cross. We can always come back to you and ask you to forgive us. Lord, may it be so today. And Lord, if there's a lost person here today, Lord, I pray that you've been instilling upon their spirit, your spirit, Lord, of conviction to help them see how much they need Christ. I pray in the good name of Jesus. Amen.